the Stainless Souls Podcast, brought to you by the realization of Stainless Souls, a come-as-you-are church of recovery and discovery. Today is episode 10, Contemplating Suicide. topic is certainly not a pleasant topic. It's not one that is easy to talk about for ministers or therapists or counselors, and it's certainly not one that's easy to talk about for those of us contemplating a suicide. But it is necessary that we discuss suicide the contemplation of suicide, suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, what it's like for the individual who is contemplating taking their own life, what it's like for those of us around them and or their families during such a tumultuous time. And... I think that the potential ramifications or consequences of a successful suicide attempt for the, I'll say, victim, the person who dies as a result of suicide, is certainly worth spending time on. The statistics are pretty grim. In the United States of America... 10 million adults contemplate suicide each year. 10 million. Of those 10 million, 220,000 make a valid attempt at taking their own life, whether it's by suffocation, hanging, shooting, sitting in a car with a hose from the exhaust pipe into the cab, Overdosing on pills on purpose, overdosing on other narcotics on purpose, or using a sharp object to open a main vein or artery in the body. 220,000 people go through the trouble of making a valid attempt at taking their own life. And of those 220,000 people, 45,000 per year are successful. 45,000 people die each year in the United States of America by taking their own life. Now, we at Stainless Souls can't do anything for the 45,000 per year who die. The only thing we can try to do is convince people who feel that their life is in a very dire place, that there is a more reason to stick around than to die. And that's not an easy debate to win because the pain of the person is so overwhelming that, generally speaking, 
They either would do anything for the pain to stop, or they believe that they need a fresh start and they just want to start over again. Somewhere new, with new people and new surroundings. Or they've become convinced that no matter what they do with the rest of the time they are living and breathing, it won't change the outcome for them in the end. Either they've become convinced that the rest of their life will consist of very deep suffering and or that their afterlife will include deep suffering. Sometimes there's a nihilist who simply believes that all of this isn't worth it and they're just going to end up in the ground without any consciousness, without any awareness of the fact that they are in the ground and they perceive that outcome to be better than the one that is seemingly impossible to succeed at here in life. So there's a variety of methods and a variety of reasons for why someone gets to a place where they just want to die. And this episode is not going to discuss the process or methods. And we're not going to make any attempts to invalidate the reasons why someone might make an attempt. Because personally, I truly believe that the person contemplating suicide has what seem at the time to be very valid reasons to be contemplating suicide. And that an effort to convince them that their reasons for contemplating suicide are invalid oftentimes just make it worse. Because a preacher or a minister or a physician or a psychiatrist or a psychologist talk down to the potential suicide victim as if they're not smart enough or experienced enough or wise enough to understand what they're really doing in the case of a suicide attempt. So here at Stainless Souls, we won't make an attempt to invalidate reasons for suicidal ideation. There are valid reasons to have ideas about suicide. That doesn't make suicide the right decision, but the decision is separate from having ideas about suicide. On two occasions, I personally had what I would call near attempts at taking my own life. The first time I actually uh, got undressed and sat in a tub with a knife and every bottle of medications that I had and I intended to swallow the pills and use the knife to open a vein and just sit in the tub and pass away. And the emotions that 
churn through the organism of a human being in those moments are indescribable to anyone who hasn't felt them personally. It is a very grave situation. Physically, my body was just burning, in part because of the pain that drove me into the tub, but also in part because of the conflict within as to whether I should or shouldn't do it. And ultimately on that occasion, the decision was to not attempt. And it was because I didn't want family members to be responsible to clean up the mess that I would have left in that bathroom. At the time, I couldn't imagine my wife or one of my kids seeing me almost naked, covered in blood, and probably blue from a lack of oxygen to the tissues in my face. When I stepped out of the tub and got dressed and put the tools of my own personal destruction away, I was still conflicted. I felt cowardly because I didn't have the courage to do it, even after I had decided that I would do it. And I was still feeling all the pain that I took into that tub with me. And I remember just crying uncontrollably for, it was longer than hours, it was the rest of that evening and into the next day. And it wasn't until I met with my AA sponsor that I was able to settle a lot of those very rabid emotions from sitting in the tub and and really giving suicide a very close look. That I was able to calm down, stop crying, and, as the saying goes, get a grip on where I was in my life. The second time was different. The second time I was standing in my kitchen in broad daylight by myself and a series of events had happened that had just continually made me more sad. And I was just in a general sad state for a few days. And at one point during the day, in broad daylight in the middle of my kitchen, every single thing that was wrong with my life at that point started to pour into my consciousness. And even though it was broad daylight, my world became very dark, pitch dark, to the point where I couldn't find the edges of the room I was in. And this is allegorical, really, because I remember it being daylight the whole time. But I was lost in a place that was dark, and I didn't know if I stepped to the right or to the left, if I would fall off a cliff, bump into a wall, where I could find the light. And I was paralyzed in that kitchen, thinking about 
the gun I had being in my mouth and pulling the trigger. And at that point, I was so frustrated, so discouraged, so depressed because I knew so many tools, so many methods, so many things I could do to get out of this situation that I found myself in, but it seemed like they were all so far away. I could not reach them. I could not pull them into my conscious awareness and use them to save me. And I've used some Harry Potter metaphors before, and I'll do it again. It was The gun was like a horcrux. It was having a, its own conversation with me, and... It was essentially telling me this can all be over in an instant. Just do it. And so I remember just screaming out loud at the top of my lungs, somebody please help me. And I dropped the gun and I found myself in my truck driving. And I cried for 40 minutes while I drove to a, an area of Georgia that was slightly more civilized than where I was in my kitchen. And I was drawn to a bookstore, a Barnes & Noble. And I didn't even care that anybody saw me crying or tears rolling down my face. Um, as I walked through the door of Barnes & Noble, I said, to myself, if I don't find something that stops me from doing it, when I get back, I'm doing it. I'm going to take that gun and I'm going to do it. And I found a book that had just been published by an author named Gabrielle Bernstein called The Universe Has Your Back. I wasn't looking for this book. And it was on an end cap of a row of books because it was new. And I'd never heard of Gabby, and I had never heard of her book or her work. And I bought it without knowing what was in it and went back out to the truck and drove back out to where I was staying and I was still crying. And I opened that book, and I just started reading page after page as my tears dripped onto the pages. And by the time I finished the book, I was no longer contemplating suicide. But I was shaken to the core, to the very core of who I was in those moments. And the first thing I did is I sold all the guns that I owned because I fr they frightened me. And I made an appointment to see my doctor, and I went the next day and explained to him everything that had happened. And he was very understanding, and I don't know why I thought that he might not be very understanding, but he was very understanding, and he was willing to work with me. And, you know, he didn't ask me to give him a month or six months. He said, can I see you next week? And that's how we started on the path of recovery from suicidal ideation. That was the fall of 2016. The first attempt was winter of 2016. 
So it's remarkable, really, that I can have this conversation on this podcast with a population of people who I don't even know, and some people who are listening who haven't heard the story before, but they know me, and they might be shocked. But the overwhelming darkness, the suffocating darkness in those two events are so terrifying that when they came, it was, it was really a matter of split seconds between attempting suicide and not. And both times it could have gone either way. It wasn't long after that that I was watching a documentary on the Golden Gate Bridge. And I don't remember the statistics of the Golden Gate Bridge, but a lot of people jump off the bridge into the San Francisco Bay. I don't know how high the bridge is now, a couple hundred feet. And uh, very few people survive the impact with the surface of the water. Well, one guy did survive, and um, he told a, a story similar to the two that I just told you about myself, where he had just gotten to the point where that was it, and he decided to do it. And it was dusk in San Francisco, and he got on the pedestrian walkway on the bridge and started to jog. There were other people on the walkway, and there were cars going both directions and he tells the story as if it was in slow motion he ran to the rail and kind of put his hands on the railing and flipped his feet and legs up over the railing and he remembers feeling his hands being on the railing as he was falling away from the bridge backwards toward the bay And as soon as his hands were no longer touching the railing, he wanted to go back. And for two or four or six seconds, I don't know how long it takes to fall that far, he regretted letting go of the railing. And then he crashed into the bay. And fortunately, there was a boat or a canoe, I can't remember, nearby who saw where he splashed and went over to recover his body and remarkably he was still alive. And so he tells the story of wishing he hadn't let go of the railing. But at that point it's too late. And for me it could have been wishing I hadn't cut myself or wishing I hadn't pulled the trigger just in that split instant. But of course it's too late in that instant where you've decided to do it and you take that last step, there's no going back. World-famous cooks, Olympic cyclists, Kate Spade, Robin Williams, people who we look up to who seem to have everything that we would want. The fame, the influence, the money, the property, still somehow find themselves in a place where the pain becomes too great or the fight becomes too hard and they make a decision and we won't know until we meet them again. They make a decision that they might very well have regretted. And I think as we go through this life and we 
grow into adults and we begin to consider all of the things that we wanted to achieve and how we wanted to achieve them in our lifetime. And we begin to realize that maybe all of our dreams aren't going to come true and maybe not all of life is a fairy tale and maybe there isn't always a happy ending. And we start using words like what's fair and not fair and what do I deserve and not deserve and how some seemingly sinful people seem to get more and more and people like me who play by the rules can't seem to get ahead. And we get very confused in those times. And we lose any idea that we might have about who is God. Where is God? And maybe we're just so angry about the whole God thing that we don't even consider the possibility that he could help us in those moments of need. All major traditions, faith traditions, teach that suicide is wrong and it may piggyback on murder or it might piggyback on doing no harm or it might piggyback on nonviolence. But in some form or another, all religious traditions teach against suicide. And as a person who has survived so far, the darkness, the dark path toward a suicide attempt, I've given consequences quite a bit of thought, both going into a potential suicide attempt and in hindsight after not doing it. And I've come to the conclusion that each and every one of us has to overcome every imaginable challenge that life offers over a series of lifetimes. And I've convinced myself that for me, I have been in that tub or in the middle of that kitchen hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And I actually did cut myself or shoot myself. Only to find myself in another lifetime in very similar circumstances where I'm pressed with the decision to do it or to not do it. And there's no escaping coming back to that place. And the only way to never have to face that place again is to not do it, is to make the decision to not do it, to rise above it, to overcome it. And so far in this lifetime, I consider my progress a success because I didn't do it this time. And now, more than ever, I convince myself on a regular basis that this is a challenge that I have to overcome in order to proceed in my development towards divinity, 
towards being acceptable for merging back into the creator from which I came. So one of the first things I would like all of you who are contemplating suicide, the 10 million or so of you this year, and uh, the 220,000 who are actually going to attempt it, is that you're going to end up right back here where you are right now if you're successful in your suicide attempt. Because you have to rise above it. You have to outgrow the feeling of hopelessness and helplessness in any of an infinite number of lifetimes. But the pain is so severe. The darkness is so overwhelming. You can avoid ever feeling that again by not doing it. Another teaching that I have just come across is, I, don't, I can't even think of the reference right now, but it's the idea that a person who commits suicide splinters or shatters their soul. And not only are they one day going to have to overcome or rise above the desperation they feel just prior to their suicide attempt, but they are going to be sent backwards many, many, many lifetimes of evolution to start over in all of the lessons that they need to learn prior to merging back in with the absolute. And I can't help but say that you think you got it hard now in this darkness, this desperation. How hard is it going to be if your soul shattered and you got to start over? How hard is it going to be if you have to overcome this or face this darkness again and again and again? If you can just hold on and find a way to rise above the darkness and the desperation of where your mental state is right now, the rest of your soul's eternity is going to be far better off. And although I don't know for sure, I'd like to say the rest of your soul's eternity will never again suffer like it is right now in these moments where you're considering suicide. And again, your reasons for contemplating suicide are valid, at least with me. And I would never try to tell you that your thinking is wrong because I know that place. The only thing I think I could reasonably offer you is an alternative. And probably to some degree, you're not going to like the alternative because it means you're going to have to exist in the desperate darkness for a while longer. But you know, any darkness is destroyed by the slightest spark of light. And I think that in the darkness of your desperation, we can find a spark. And if we can find a spark, that's all we need to begin dissolving permanently the darkness that envelopes you now. At the end of every podcast, I 
close with a tagline that a part of you is incorruptible, invulnerable, immortal, and stainless. Stainless souls. And I truly do believe that to be the case. No matter what the human side of you has done in the physical universe, it has no impact on your soul, except perhaps for suicide. And that soul is a gateway to the infinite, brilliant, white light of the absolute, universal love, life, and intelligence of which you are an individual manifestation. And if you can sit still and quiet the negative thinking for a few moments and look for that part of you, that very center part of you, the nucleus from which your existence seems to emerge, you will find that light. And by simply giving your consent to the light to illuminate all of the darkness within you, you will find that you can rise above any of the despair that you currently feel. Now, I'm not going to lead you to believe that a hand glider is going to come swoop down on you and pick you up out of the pit and take you to the mountaintop. The brightness is gradual for many of us. It doesn't have to be, but it usually is. But successively reducing the darkness results in brightness. And in the brightness, we can see our way clear of those seemingly overwhelming problems that baffled us. And that's all we need. We don't need to be 35,000 feet above our problem. We only need to be a little bit above it. And you can be pulled a little bit above your problem. It is possible. But in order to be pulled, you got to reach out. And when you reach out, a hand will reach down and grasp yours. And that hand is the same hand that broke me out of my spell in my kitchen that day and sent me to the bookstore. It is within you. The answers to your issues and your problems are not outside of you or around you, in your checkbook, in your car, in your office, in your bedroom. The answers are right within you. And not temporary answers, eternal answers. Answers from universal intelligence that will be imparted upon you with love and compassion and understanding. I encourage you if you are suffering from suicidal ideation, to reach out, call somebody, get in touch with us here at Stainless Souls. Your destiny is not death. Your destiny is eternal life. Your destiny is unity 
with all life for all time. So I'm asking you to contact us at Stainless Souls or the Suicide Hotline or a trusted loved one or a medical professional. Reach out. Don't let go of the railing. Don't pull the trigger. Don't cut yourself. Don't take that pill. Don't sit in your car with the hose. Don't put a belt or a rope around your neck. Those are decisions you make before the instant of regret. After the instant of regret, there's nothing you can do or we can do to show you the light. But if you pause before you get to the instant of regret, there is hope. We can show you that your future has a positive outcome and that you have a reasonable expectation for that outcome to manifest in your life. So please, consider what we've said here. Consider turning toward the light. In the meantime, never forget that a part of you is incorruptible, invulnerable, immortal, and stainless. Stainless souls, each and every one of us. (laughs) 